50 years ago, May 1970, America seemed to be turning upside down. The country was entangled in an unpopular war in Vietnam, and anti-war protests were rampant. A demonstration on May 4th at Kent State University turned deadly when four unarmed students were shot and killed by National Guardsmen. Student protests, sit-ins, and demonstrations had been sprouting at Ivy League and West Coast colleges during much of the 1960s. The University of South Carolina and most other Southern universities had stayed quiet, but a sense of unrest on the South Carolina campus was brewing early on in 1970, and it all boiled over in the month of May. I'm Chris Horn, your host for Remembering the Days, and today we're looking back at a tumultuous time at South Carolina when, 50 years ago, university students clashed with police and National Guardsmen, and the blinding sting of tear gas drifted into nearly every corner of the Columbia campus. It wasn't just sentiment against the Vietnam War or the Kent State shootings that triggered those weeks of unrest. Students were also upset about undercover police tactics on campus, as well as the forced closing of the UFO Coffee House, a popular hangout in downtown Columbia, frequented by anti-war activists and, interestingly enough, soldiers from Fort Jackson. Here's University of South Carolina archivist Elizabeth West. The students were very concerned about how the university administration and local officials were responding to freedom of speech. Faculty were also concerned about protecting freedom of speech as well. The students felt that the police were being heavy-handed in uh, the way they arrested students. Plainclothes police had been placed in the Russell House to try to keep certain anti-establishment activists out of there and they were checking student IDs and there were a lot of clashes and harassment. So just a lot of tension, a lot of turmoil and unhappiness with the general state of things. Jim Stewart is a retired Air Force veteran now. He was a freshman accounting major at the university in spring 1970. He was also an Air Force ROTC cadet and holding down a job at the information desk in the Russell House. He had gotten wind of a sit-in that was going to take place there on May 7th. Well, I knew there was going to be a, a peaceful, quote-unquote, sit-in. You know, there were some students that said, we're going to come up here and we're going, to, we're going to sit down on the floor and we're not moving for anybody. And I was, you know, working behind the information desk at that time and I, you know, heard the, the conversations right in front of me basically and knew something was going to happen and I was in my ROTC uniform so I ran down the hill to the fraternity house which was not very far away at that time changed out of the uniform put on uh, normal civilian clothes came back up and got behind the, the back back in the uh, information desk to doing my job and uh, it was a little scary you know I'd never been around that type of uh, activity before from from the sit-in point or the uh, law enforcement guys coming up and taking people out, you know, and I'm thinking, boy, I hope they don't get me because I'm just back here doing my job. Pete Strom, who headed the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, used a bullhorn to order student demonstrators to leave the Russell House or face arrest. 
They refused to leave, so they were arrested, escorted outside in handcuffs, and placed on buses bound for the city jail. All of this happened rather peacefully, Stewart recalls, but the overall mood on campus was starting to sour. And on Monday, May 11th, the situation turned ugly. As I was standing out here in the parking lot talking to, uh, I believe, a couple of the guardsmen who were probably not much older than me, all of a sudden bricks started flying. And I couldn't tell exactly where they were coming from or exactly who they were headed towards because there was the guard was all lined up in their neat little rows and there were a whole bunch of students around, you know, kind of gawking and saying, you know, what's, what the heck's going on here? But the bricks started flying and when they did that, I figured it was time for me to not be where I was. Stewart made the right decision to get out of there. An angry crowd of demonstrators marched to the administration building, and while the university president and trustees huddled upstairs in a meeting, the riotous crowd began trashing administrative offices on the first floor. A small contingent of law enforcement officers kept the raucous demonstrators from charging up the stairs to the second floor where university officials were meeting. National Guard troops were immediately called in and they started clearing the horseshoe area of students with tear gas canisters that sent everyone running in every direction. More tear gas confrontations followed in the days ahead, including at Bates Residence Hall and at the Honeycombs, which you might also remember as the Towers or the Veil Blocks. A lot of students were getting arrested across campus, sometimes for violating curfews that had been imposed during the rioting, sometimes just for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. The vast majority of students managed to steer clear of trouble, but they would still get an eye-watering whiff of the tear gas that seemed to float into every corner. Things calmed slightly two days after the administration building riot when Jane Fonda, then a young actress and activist, spoke at a student rally attended by 4,000 in Maxie Gregg Park near campus. Here's Elizabeth West. After the, the second incident with the tear gas outside the honeycombs, that died down a bit. Jane Fonda appeared at Maxie Gregg Park a few days later, and there was a lot of concern about that, but she actually called for peaceful action, and President Jones ended up praising her for that and because it helped kind of diffuse some of the, the situation there. Well, that's a summary of those long days and nights in May 1970 when student frustrations boiled over and protests kept erupting across the nation. And the war in Vietnam kept on churning. It's difficult to truly capture the angst of that time, the concern that parents of Carolina students must have felt for their sons and daughters so soon after the Kent State shootings, the anger and confusion of students caught up in a world that seemed to be shifting beneath their feet. And, to be fair, the dilemma of National Guardsmen and law enforcement officers trying to maintain peace in the midst of a college campus riot without risking a repeat of the tragedy that had just happened at Kent State. Well, that time of unrest eventually came to an end, but the story doesn't end there. There is a tale perhaps apocryphal, that University President Tom Jones had a moment of epiphany while the administration building was under siege. It's said that Jones realized in that moment when the very fabric of campus life was tearing apart, 
that the University of South Carolina needed to become more responsive to its students to make itself more relevant in a world that was rapidly changing. So Jones convened a task force to come up with new academic programs that would appeal to the restless student body. The university already had launched something called Contemporary University, and after the riots, another program called University Without Walls began. Although those did not last, the third one that they came up with is still with us today, and that is University 101. So that was set up as a way to help students adjust to university life, to make those connections, and really try to ease kind of those pressures through that program, and it's been a very successful program. In fact, South Carolina's University 101 program is the nation's number one ranked first-year orientation program among public universities, according to U.S. News and World Report. U101, as it's known, has been imitated by colleges and universities across the country. And at South Carolina, thousands of first-year students take the course every year. The data proves those students are more likely to finish college and graduate with higher GPAs. I think it's fair to say that University 101 became the silver lining that emerged from those dark clouds of May 1970. And 50 years later, it's still paying dividends. Well, this is our last scheduled episode of Remembering the Days for the Spring 2020 season. I hope you've enjoyed the stories we've brought you so far. And if so, you can look forward to a new selection of tales from the university's past this coming fall. We're planning a time-traveling adventure where we'll encounter the sights, sounds, smells, and tastes of the college campus in 1840. We'll also take an historical tour of trees on the horseshoe, and we'll examine the double standard of student dress codes in the 1960s. All those and more stories are coming your way this fall on Remembering the Days, a production of the University of South Carolina. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and I look forward to catching up with you in just a few months. So long for now.